You're listening to the Bible Nerd Podcast, a weekly show where we're exploring the world of the Bible, helping you fall more in love with Jesus, and building a thoughtful defense for the Christian worldview. I'm your host, Steve Schramm. Welcome to the show. All right, thank you for joining us another week here on the Bible Nerd Podcast. We're talking about the subject of miracles today, and uh, what we're going to do is is use some material from... Um, Lee Strobel's recent book on the subject, Miracles, and he references Craig Keener a little bit, who has done probably um, the most significant study on miracles ever done, certainly from an evangelical perspective, but I'm pretty sure that just goes kind of across the board. And um, we're going to be referencing some of that material uh, a little bit as well. Again, the question we're asking here is, do miracles happen? Uh, Is there any evidence that uh, this God that we believe him actually does work in in the world um you know we read the bible and the bible seems to say that there are miracles going on that we live in a a supernatural world in a world that is not merely governed by natural law and biological uh, processes and geological processes and things of that nature um there seems to be more going on. And what we're going to find out, I think, and this might be surprising, is that most people think that way. Most people think that way, even though seemingly the loudest voices are the voices of naturalism and materialism. It doesn't seem to be that the majority of people in the world share this outlook. So that's some of the um, ideas and concepts that we're going to be uh, looking at as we go through this study today. Now, one of the primary reasons that people take issue with religious thought is that it almost necessarily involves a concept of the miraculous, right? Now, this is something that is completely against and offensive to people living in the 21st century West, because we supposedly have it all figured out, right? I mean, um, science has just progressed, and scientists have been able to make new discoveries and figure things out um, that are just unbelievable. I mean, the turn of the 21st century from the turn of the 20th century, man, what a what a contrast! What a contrast in you know, uh, the ability of the human race. And so we think that we've got it all figured out. One of the resulting views from this is that, of course, science has disproven miracles. I mean, the laws of nature, right, they can basically account for most or even all phenomena that we experience. I mean, this is the reality, right? Well, like I began by saying, it actually might surprise you that this attitude toward the miraculous is not shared by most people throughout the world, all right? And whether or not it it was, um, this is an issue worth talking about because the possibility of the miraculous is certainly required for the Christian worldview to be true. Isn't that right? I mean, we believe there's a creator. We believe Jesus rose from uh, the dead. We believe that uh, there was miraculous healing going on all throughout the biblical record. Now, these are works of a miraculous nature. They, they, they transcend, they go beyond, really, the natural. And so, um, if miracles can't happen, then none of these miraculous works can happen. 
So let's start by defining the term. What is a miracle? Believe it or not, this is where most people get tripped up. This is the the place, just even in the definition of the word, where most critics of miracles throughout history have really messed up. Because now, once we understand what, what we think a miracle is, it's going to form our opinion about whether or not it can happen. Um, and if we don't know what it is, how can we form an opinion about it? Now, the 18th century philosopher David Hume he is promise, uh, probably excuse me, the, the most known for objecting to miracles, the most um, famous philosopher for his objection to miracles. Here's what Ravi Zacharias says, uh, summarizing the issue. In his book, Can Man Live Without God? Quote, Hume's argument against miracles runs something like this. Since a miracle is a violation or exception to a law of nature, by definition, it is based on the lower degree of probability. A wise man, says Hume, will always base his belief on the highest degree of probability. Therefore, a wise man will disbelieve in miracles. Hume's argument is somewhat strained. For example, the possibility of this world happening, even according to the strongest anti-theist, is as close to zero as one can get. Therefore, the wise man should deny the existence of the world. His argument is dreadfully circular. He first assumes that miracles can never happen and then concludes that they have never occurred. The real wise man, to counter Hume, would be one who would make his conclusion based on the evidence. Close quote. Now, certainly, most skeptics uh, would agree that we should make arguments based on uh, evidence that we should make uh, judgments based on arguments and evidence. So it would be prudent, really, to discover first whether a miracle has occurred, whether then to merely speculate on whether they can. And so I think this is, you know, why Ravi's point was so um, helpful here, because again, we're wanting to know what actually happened. We're not wanting to dismiss the possibility out of hand, because if we dismiss the possibility out of hand, well, then we're just assuming what we're trying to prove, and of course, that's a logical fallacy. That's begging the question. So we need to know whether or not these things can happen, okay? Um, we have to know what counts as a miracle. So is the mere fact that there is something rather than nothing a miracle? Think about that. Think about just the creation of the world. We got to start there. There's something instead of nothing. Isn't that in itself a miracle? I mean, what else can it be? Well, of course, you know, the naturalist wants to kind of define this away as, a, you know, a future scientific thing that we don't know. You know we don't know about what uh, caused this, but obviously something did because we're here. Okay, well, this is a logical fallacy as well called the fallacy of a relevant thesis, right? It says, basically, it, it avoids an explanation for the thing. It says, oh, well, this is the case, so therefore, that must have happened. Okay, but that's not how, um, that's not how logic works. That's not how arguments and evidence work. So, you see, in order to accept all of these exceptions uh, that are required, you have to commit logical fallacies, okay? And that is not going to work. So, Hume Here's what happened. He simply got the definition wrong. He claims that a miracle violates the laws of nature. 
But think about this for a second. Why think that's the case? Why is it that a miracle is, is necessarily something that violates the law of nature, or the laws, rather, of nature? Think about this little thought experiment. It's a simple one. Do I violate the laws of nature when I interrupt my falling pen from hitting the ground? I mean, if I drop a pen, and it, by all, you know, um, uh, I have every reason to think that it would hit the ground based on the law of gravity. If I drop the pen next to me, it's going to fall and it's going to hit the ground. But what if I intervene and I take my hand and I stop that pen from falling and hitting the ground? Have I, have I violated the laws of nature? No, of course not. Now, you might say, well, neither have you done a miracle. Okay, but you would be missing something very important there. I am a human. I, at least I don't believe, can do Miracles. I don't. I can't do miracles. Okay, um, I don't have that ability. That's not something within my my realm. I can only do that which I have the power to do. But of course, God has the power to do anything. So He does not violate the law laws of nature when He intervenes within nature. He simply intervenes in exactly the same way that I did. Now, um, again, the subject of divine action. Now, this is God's working and interacting with the world is a huge one, uh, something we cannot go into today for sure. But it's certainly not defeasible by the mere assertion that the laws of nature are violated when the miraculous takes place. That's not going to do the job. So for those who are uh, skeptical of miracle claims, I guess I'd simply, uh, of course, we've already mentioned why is there something rather than nothing. I think that's pretty significant. But what about the issue of human evolution? Why don't we just go right for the jugular, right? Let's go right right here to your favorite subject, uh, if you were a skeptic, um, human evolution. Now, let's say for the sake of argument, if, if evolution had occurred by what measurement would we decide whether or not it was miraculous? Think about that. Take a minute to think about that. For the sake of argument, again, we're assuming for the sake of argument, if evolution occurred, okay? Let's say evolution occurred. By what measurement would we decide whether or not it was a miraculous thing? Would it just be the laws of nature working on biological material? If probability is to be brought to bear, does that change the equation? Think about that as I read this quote here from Dr. William Lane Craig. It's a bit lengthy, but it's responding to the idea that human evolution could have occurred without an intelligent designer. Quote, the idea that evolution could have occurred without an intelligent designer is so improbable as to be fantastic. This has been demonstrated by Barrow and Tipler in their book, The Anthropic Cosmological Principle. In this book, they list 10 steps in the course of human evolution, each of which is so improbable that before it would have occurred, the sun would have ceased to be a main sequence star and would have burned up the earth. They estimate the odds of the evolution of the human genome by chance to be on the order of 4 to the negative 360th power to the 110,000th power, a number which is so huge that to call it astronomical would be a wild understatement. In other words, if evolution did occur, it would have been a miracle, so that evolution is actually evidence for the existence of God. 
And here the Christian can be much more open to where the evidence leads. He could say, well, God could have used evolution. He could have used special creation. I am open to the evidence. But you see, for the naturalist, evolution is the only game in town. No matter how fantastic the odds, no matter how improbable the evidence, he's stuck with it because he hasn't got an intelligent designer. So it seems to me that the Christian can be far more objective on this point. After all, if you were to find a watch lying on the ground and say it didn't function exactly perfectly, it lost one minute per hour, would you therefore conclude that the watch was not designed properly? Close quote. So, you know, again, back to our discussion here, it's all about how we're defining the terms. So if evolution occurred... It was probably a miracle uh, by any reasonable definition. So even on the skeptic's greatest weapon, um, supposedly, uh, against the belief in miracles, against the Christian faith, um, even with that, we see we can't escape the miraculous. To think that a natural process could bring this about is just it's absurd. It can't. It can't be believed. So we live in a miraculous world. That's really the fact. Uh, of all the worlds we've discovered via modern technology, and we have discovered quite a few, um, we live on the only one of them that is life-permitting. And even if you wouldn't go so far as to claim things like human evolution and the existence of something rather than nothing um, are miraculous— they still provide a sort of prima facie evidence that the miraculous cannot be ruled out. Um, in other words, what I'm saying by that is you got to admit, this looks pretty fishy, right? Like, like when you look at some of, those, some of these numbers and um, when you just explore the possibility of, of how there's uh, something rather than nothing and that the nature of the universe is what it is instead of something uh, much, much different, um, when you, when you, see things like that, whether or not you affirm them, you have to kind of admit that the miraculous cannot be so easily ruled out. So, and it, it, you know, it seems to me that it would also be arbitrary to claim that these are brute facts of some sort. In other words, you could say something like, well, the universe just is this way. Uh, but of course, you're not providing any, any evidence for that. You're just kind of stating that. Um, so uh, therefore, it's arbitrary, right? It, you're just saying it's this way. You're not providing an explanation or any grounding for why it is this way. So that is what we need to have. So um, here's an example. To say that it just so happens to be a property of universes to pop into existence out of nothing is pretty much to say nothing. I mean, why don't milkshakes or rhinoceroses pop into existence out of nothing? You know, these are the kind of questions that we need to ask, right? Why is it just universes that, that miraculously get this? Again, it's it's, arbit it's arbitrary. That's what we're looking for. It's arbitrary. And, um, you know, arbitrariness is the mark, or at least one of the marks, of bad thinking. Now, to my earlier point here, this doesn't bolster Hume's objection in any way. Um, you know, for, for example, the creation of the world could not possibly have violated the laws of nature for the simple reason that there were no laws of nature to violate. There was absolutely nothing, <laughs> okay? There was absolutely nothing. So it's not a violation of the laws of nature. There were no laws of nature. There was nothing. We're not talking about a vacuum. We're not talking about, you know, empty space. That's not what's meant by nothing. By nothing, we literally mean the absence of anything. Therefore, the absence of laws of nature. 
Okay, so we have every reason to think that a miracle could occur. Now let's look at another kind of um, uh, objection or assertion, really, that's brought to bear here. Um, namely, the idea that miracles just don't happen, right? We don't see miracles happening today, so why conclude that a miracle happened at all? Why conclude Jesus rose from the dead, right? Why conclude that uh, the world was created? We don't see miracles happening today. Well, again, you know, uh, I think that we have made some remarks to this point that would argue <laughs> uh, quite strongly that the miraculous has happened and continues to happen. Um, and, you know, we're, we're just so offended by this idea in, in the West because our scientific knowledge has advanced to the point that it has, that it just seems unthinkable for so many that something supernatural could occur. And if you just look beyond your own backyard you might actually find that your thinking here is very unsound. Um, in fact, and this was actually very startling to me when I read this, even many Americans seem to have no problem thinking that something miraculous has happened to them. Investigating this issue, Lee Strobel uncovered the following in his book, Miracles. Quote, most of all, I wanted to know how many people have had an experience that they can only explain as being a miracle of God. As it turns out, get this, nearly two out of five U.S. adults, or 38%, said they have had such an experience, which means that an eye-popping 94,792,000 Americans are convinced that God has performed at least one miracle for them personally. That is an astonishing number, close quote. I mean, just thinking about that is is astronomical because, you know, all you hear, right, is, is naturalism and materialism and, you know, you never uh, hear this stuff, but the world is a lot more spiritual than most people think. Certainly that most people are going to hear via, you know, major news sources and things of that nature. And it raises an important question, one that's often overlooked. Does personal experience count? Does personal experience count? After all, um, if over 94 million people believe that they've had an experience of the miraculous and therefore, right, the supernatural, isn't that something worth checking into? I mean, it seems to me like something is going on here. Now, further, there are many specific reports of miracle claims. So we, we talked about kind of a general thing, right? 94 million people, I mean, out of, you know, outright, that's something that should not be dismissed. But there's actually very specific reports. And in fact, um, you know, I'm not talking about first-person private experiences here. I'm talking about hundreds of peer-reviewed medical journal entries around the subject of just near-death experiences alone. Gary Habermas cites just one here, and if you're following along, um, I, I keep forgetting to mention this at the beginning of episodes, but uh, there is a, um, a detailed write-up that goes along with each of these podcast episodes on stevesram.com. So you can go to stevesram.com and find this episode, and uh, it's going to be right there on the homepage for you, so you won't be able to, or you won't miss it. Uh, and anyway, you can follow along, and you can get some of the links and the quotes and different things that I am discussing throughout our time together here. So you can get this link as well. Gary Habermas cites just one of these um, uh, medical journal entries, okay, of a, a actual study uh, that um, was based on a true story here. So 
He says this, quote, For instance, in a well-documented incident, a young girl had nearly drowned, not registering a pulse for 19 minutes. The emergency room physician observed that he stood over Katie's lifeless body in the intensive care unit. A CT scan showed that she had massive brain swelling, and she was without a gag reflex while being profoundly comatose. Dr. Melvin Morse reported, When I first saw her, her pupils were fixed and dilated, meaning that irreversible brain damage had most likely occurred. Her breathing was performed artificially, and she was given very little chance to survive. But only three days later, the girl surprisingly revived and made a full recovery. Katie began repeating an incredible wealth of specific facts regarding the emergency room, her resuscitation, and even physical descriptions of the two physicians. <laughs> That's incredible. Morse, Morse confirmed that a child with Katie's symptoms should have, had, um, should have the absence of any brain function and therefore should comprehend nothing. Katie recalled these recent details for almost an hour. Further, during her comatose state, she said that an angel named Elizabeth allowed her to view her family at home. Katie correctly, get this, Katie correctly reported very specific details concerning the clothing and positions of each family member, identified a popular rock song that her sister listened to, observed her father, and then watched while her mother cooked dinner. She even correctly identified the food, roast chicken and rice. Later, she shocked her parents by relating details from just a few days before. And uh, he cites the book that uh, this was uh, um, uh, quoted in, that, that the story was related in, by Melvin Morse and Paul Perry, Closer to the Light. Um and anyway, so a close quote there, a quote over by Gary Habermas. So for an introductory look into the possibility of miracles, um, complete with you know a, pl a plethora of these anecdotal experiences, you really need to check out, I think, um, this, uh, this book, Strobel's Case for Miracles. Just a, a little plug for that. It's really good, and it has a lot more of these kind of stories. And again, not just anecdotal experiences, but also uh, with expert opinion in there as well. Now, for, again, something of a more scholarly uh, standard work on the subject, you need to check out Craig Keener's two-volume set, which is called Miracles, okay? Um, and he's also extensively interviewed uh, in Strobel's book, so you can kind of get an introduction uh, introduction to him there if you want to. Um, let me just uh, read this from Keener here. He says, uh, quote, What the radical enlightenment excluded as implausible based on the principle of analogy, much of today's world can accept on the same principle of analogy. Hundreds of millions of people worldwide claimed to have experienced or witnessed what they believe are miracles. Eyewitnesses claims to uh, dramatic recoveries appear in a wide variety of cultures among Christians often successfully emulating models of healings found in the Gospels and Acts. Granted, such healings do not occur on every occasion and are fairly unpredictable in their occurrence, yet they seem to appear with special frequency in cultures and circles that welcome them. Close quote. So, what can we conclude from all of this from a study of do miracles happen? Okay, well, here's what's what's going on this is their problem not ours okay this is their problem not ours in a christian worldview 
we can explain all of these accounts, these things that we've talked about so far. Um, you know, resurrections and you know, uh, miraculous uh, healings, even, and and this uh, idea of of uh, a near death experience and being transported to other places and being able to see these things. Yeah, these things sound weird and offensive to us, but they're documented. I mean, these are do- documented cases that. Uh, very smart people have no explanation for. And again, even when you look at things like the historical evidence for the resurrection that we've talked about a couple of times now in the past few weeks, and um, when you uh, when you look at the actual creation of the world, um, you know, when you see these things, the evidence is on our side here. We have explanations for these things that the naturalist just does not have, right? Millions of people around the world, including close to a million or a hundred million, excuse me, accounts just in the United States uh, are just not involved in some mass uh, conspiracy to um, to see the miraculous where there is no miraculous. It's not a coincidence kind of thing. This is something that needs to be uh, explored and needs to be dealt with. And it's a very serious question for very serious people. Of course, people do make false miracle claims from time to time. That does happen. But those false claims do not invalidate potentially true claims. So the insurmountable task of finding a naturalistic explanation for these claims lays at the feet of the skeptic who wants to claim that it can't happen and or it never happens. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I just want you to really consider what we talked about here today. And if you have friends who seem to be skeptical of the miraculous, you know, maybe you would take uh, some time to share this podcast with them. And maybe that would be something helpful uh, for you to discuss. You can make this podcast episode a, a matter of discussion. And of course, if you have any questions about this, again, you can refer to those works I mentioned, Keener's Two Volume Miracles Set or Lee Strobel's The Case for Miracles. Uh, those are both really great resources. One uh, more scholarly and another more popular. So thank you again uh, for uh, for joining us here this week as we as we discussed this. Um, I, I do want to read a, a review for you here, and this is actually the last uh, podcast review that I have here in the um, in the queue. So I would really appreciate if you would go uh, on the iTunes store wherever you're listening from, or if you're on Castbox, and uh, I don't know if if I can get. Um, if I can see the Google ones right here, I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm not entirely sure where all different places uh, I can get them from. I think it's mainly the Apple stores from around the world and also CastBox. So if you're listening on any of those platforms, then please uh, feel free to leave a review for the show. It would help other people to uh, um, to, to tell whether or not the show is for them. Uh, if you're excited about what we're doing here on the Bible Nerd Podcast, then I would appreciate you doing that. So I'm going to read this one here from JP, and he says, Honest and insightful. Good balanced treatment uh, of the evidence for both sides of the creation evolution discussion, along with the occasional random other topic. Here's a good place to honestly sort through your worldview and God view instead of getting overstated and understated info, depending on what's convenient for the argument. Thanks for the podcast. Well, thank you, JP, for the review. That's very, very helpful. And certainly I'm glad to be able to provide this kind of content going week in and week out. All right. So your mission uh, for this week is to share the Bible Nerd podcast with another uh, Bible nerd. You know, share it with somebody else that you you know uh, who really would dig this kind of information or maybe share it with somebody who you think um would love this kind of information and uh, and would like to dig in deeper to biblical subjects and um, and the like each and every week. All right, God bless you. Thank you so much again for joining us. See you next time.